Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast. I'm your host, David Massover, and today we've got a great guest. We're talking to Colin Mitchell, co-founder and CRO at SalesCast and the host of the Sales Hustle Podcast. Colin, welcome to the podcast. David, thanks so much for having me. I know we're going to have a ton of fun. Absolutely. You've got a truckload of sales experience. So let's jump right in with the traditional opening question for our podcast, which is, what's the single best piece of sales advice that you've ever received? Yeah. you know, My first sales job was a telemarketing phone room sort of environment. There was a lot of good things that I learned there and there was a lot of bad things that I learned there. But there's one thing that just always stuck with me, right? Because we made a lot of phone calls and it was some will, some won't, next call. And that's never left me. And I've always, you know, it's really helped me get through like getting hearing a lot of no's and getting hung up on and rejection. It's just I've always reminded myself of that to just keep moving forward. I love that. There's so many sports analogies about sales that it could probably make you sick. But one of the ones that always resonated with me, I'm an NFL football fan, played a little bit in high school, not well, but I played. But this idea that you know, after football, you know, after every play, you get hit, you get up, you go to the huddle, you make another play, you do it again. And I think if you can really embrace that attitude with respect to sales, not only are you going to be more effective, but you're going to maintain your sanity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of sales is mindset, having the proper mindset so that when you do get you know knocked down, that you have the courage and confidence to get back up. Yeah. You start thinking about that old song, which I won't sing, that, you know, just to do everybody a favor, right? About getting knocked down, but you all know the tune. So you had some good advice. That is some good advice. I'm sure you ran across some bad advice as well. What's some of the worst sales advice you've ever heard? Ooh, you know, my first, this same, you know, job. And uh, hey, I'm grateful because there was not a lot of places willing to give me an opportunity at that time in my life. So super grateful for the opportunity. The training, not so much. It was kind of like, here's the script, here's a here's a list of names, and there's the phone. Don't use the CRM because frankly, it doesn't work. And just kind of, you know, listen to what other people are saying and you know, start using some of those things that you know, might think would work. And you know, it was a very commission breath transactional sales script. And that taught me some really bad habits because I was essentially teaching people, I was treating people very transactionally. And you know, it was only like, hey, what do you, you know, can I earn a commission out of you or not? And that was a really the wrong way to go about sales. And once I finally realized that, that's when things really changed for me. But you know, I stuck with what I was taught through that script and through what I learned at that place for a little bit longer than I wish I would have. I was on your podcast a short time ago. I shared my kind of sales origin story. And it's very similar. And what makes me sad is is mine was in the 1990s. And and there's still just so much of that going on. And that's a great segue into into what I wanted to cover with you today. You and I had a conversation previously. And we talked about what we should focus on on this episode. and, And you immediately jumped to building an outbound sales team, which I think is such a great topic. Now, as a, as a coach and a consultant, I spend a lot of time helping companies 
optimize outbound sales teams. And a lot of them just aren't working as well as they should. So yeah, let's absolutely get into that. But can you just give us a little bit more background on your experience in sales and and your sales journey so that we have a little bit of context for the episode? Yeah, absolutely. So after that first sales job, you know, and I stuck around there for a little while and worked my way to the top. And I was promised a managerial position, which I thought I wanted, thought I was ready for, probably wasn't. And they didn't give me that position. So I ended up leaving there and and going to a competitor and uh, got a VP of sales position there and, and built a team that was all outbound sales. And at that company, helped them grow revenue significantly. Ended up having my girlfriend at the time come join the team. And uh, you know she was doing recruiting. She wasn't too happy at her job. And I said, why don't you come over here and kind of see what we're doing? Things are going pretty well. Maybe you can learn the industry. Because I think maybe one day, we can maybe do this on our own. And so we stuck around there for a couple of years. Super grateful for that founder that gave me that job and that opportunity. And we parted ways on very good terms and uh, started our own company together in our one-bedroom apartment. Our office was our living room. And uh, we built an outbound sales team, You know, moved into our office, outgrew our office. And that was kind of the trajectory there for a while. But we bootstrapped that field by outbound sales to 5 million bucks in 26 months. And that was with you know zero marketing, literally just using the phone. And that's pretty much it. That's impressive. It sounds like uh, kind of a made from scratch kind of a recipe. So let's start with that. If somebody is looking to to build a sales team, an outbound sales team from scratch, I talk to a lot of people, you know, startup founders or people starting their own company, and it's very intimidating. What are some key things to keep in mind to help people who are just jumping into this for the first time to get off to a good start? So assuming that you know a lot of your listeners are maybe startup founders, right? Or maybe early stage growth companies, I think it's really important that the founder needs to know how to sell. I think that is essential to going at a fast pace and having the ability to lead a team of sellers. Because you know, the phone is the lowest cost way to drive revenue, right? So if you're a startup, that's the best way to invest your money is in those people that can use that tool. And then once you figure out your messaging and you know, kind of nail down your ICP and all those other things, then there's other strategies that you can implement. But if we're sticking to just you know, outbound sales, which outbound sales is a lot of things today. It's not just the phone. It's phone. It's email. It's LinkedIn. You know, all of these different channels that we can now hit people. But I think it's so important to one, the founder needs to be able to sell, to be able to lead the team. And also, the founder needs to be out there testing things, what's working, what's not working. And once you start to build that team, you also need to be on the front line so that you can lead by example. And I think that those are some key ingredients that really you know, helped me build the outbound sales team, that helped me have the respect of the outbound sales team, but also leading in the right way where it's not like, hey, I'm the leader and here's what I say we're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. But more like, hey, I, being a little bit vulnerable and saying, you know, I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to test it out and I'm going to test it with you. And maybe we'll learn something. Maybe it'll work. Maybe we'll win some deals in the process. Maybe we'll refine our messaging. But just having that level of vulnerability and transparency as a leader in an early startup with your team earns you a lot of respect and creates a relationship with the team where you can have an open, honest dialogue about growing and driving revenue. 
lots and lots of really great advice in there, Colin. But what really jumps out to me is, is this idea that if you think about it the other way, if the founder doesn't know how to sell or doesn't want to sell, maybe they have a technical background and they're thinking, I'll just hire someone to do this. Sales is always going to be a black box. And as a black box, it can really go bad fast and you don't understand why. And that can be awfully frustrating. You might have the best product, the best tech in the world, but if you can't sell it, nobody's going to buy it. So that, that's really fantastic advice. Yeah. And you know, if you're a technical person and you're just like, hey, sales is not for me, then get a co-founder that can sell. Get a partner. You know, Figure something out. Somebody on that executive team or they need to have a stake in the business that knows how to sell. Somebody at the small table. Yeah. Yeah. Or challenge yourself to figure it out. Call Colin. He's got some great ideas, right? No, no. Call David. <laughs> don't call me. Call David. <laughs> Just call somebody. Call Ghostbusters. I don't know, but call somebody. <laughs> so, you know, that's great advice for somebody who's starting from scratch. For a lot of people, it's not about that. For a lot of people, they've had a sales team for a while. It's not working. They're frustrated. They don't know why. Obviously, big question, lots of possible answers. But you know, if a company leader is listening to this and saying, yeah, okay, I've been doing this for 10 years and that's not working, how should they begin to think about turning around a sales organization? Where do you start with something like that? Well, you got to take a look at what you're doing, number one, right? So what is... I mean, if you have a business and the doors are still open, something's working. So dig into what is working, see what is not working and look for some opportunities of improvement. It really boils down to one thing, collecting feedback. Mm -hmm. Collecting feedback from your team, making sure that sales and marketing are aligned, You know, making sure that they're supporting each other, that they're sharing knowledge and information and not working in individual silos. Feedback from your current customers. You know, Hey, David, I'm just curious. Why, why did you go with us? Why did you feel that we were the best option? And maybe that's the information that you need to really craft the right messaging to get in front of more of the right people. Or my personal favorite, which makes a lot of people uncomfortable, is feedback from the people that didn't buy from you. Go to those people. Hey, David, it looks like we kind of dropped the ball. I totally understand. We didn't earn your trust. No worries. I'm just hoping you could help me out. What could we have done better? Like, I'm just looking for some candid, honest feedback. I'm a big boy. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Just looking how we could possibly get better. I had uh, Ken Groey, who's the uh, the CRO and the president over at Weka, lifetime bag carrying sales pro, top of the org chart now. And one of the things that he shared with me was how important it is a to get a diagnosis and b to get customer feedback, but c sometimes from an outside perspective. I think a lot of companies have a hard time being objective about their mm-hmm. own stuff, being objective about um, you know, what, what's really going on. You know, how, how good are the people that I have? And when you call up customers, sometimes they're, you know, for a nice reason, they don't necessarily want to give you that honest feedback. Say, no, no, oh, no, yeah. things are great. Things are wonderful. So, so getting disciplined about how you get that feedback, I think is a really great start. So yeah, I mean, the customer feedback is good, but I feel that the people who didn't buy from you, that mm-hmm. feedback's so much more valuable. So much more valuable. So that's like number 1, right? Is you collect all that feedback and you start to see some patterns or you start to see like people saying some of the same things and maybe it's adjusting your messaging. And then, you know, you got to look at like what is 
working? Is the phone working? You know, are people like you got to review things, right? So many people don't even review their calls, their Zoom calls, their calls, their cold calls, their call recordings. Figure out, you know, where are people dropping off? Where are people hanging up? Where are people saying they're not interested? You know, are they not interested for a good reason, without a reason? You got to start to look at all of the things that are happening and just make little improvements and changes and adapt to get things, you know, firing in the in the way that you want them to. So a lot of times when I when I go into an organization and start working with them and they're they're frustrated by sales, one of the things that I learn is that the sales reps that they've hired mm. are just not particularly strong. And it sounds like you've had a lot of experience hiring salespeople. You've hired them into a a team that wound up being successful. What kind of things do you look for when you're hiring salespeople to be a part of your outbound team? Not what everybody else looks for. Ah, tell me about it. I don't really care if they have sales experience. It's 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 kind of a, a nice to have, but not a must have. I don't really care if they have industry experience. Most people look for that industry experience. Like, oh, you got to know about our widgets. And no, you don't have to know about your widgets. I come from my personal background is what I feel has contributed a lot to my success. Like I grew up, you know, raised by a single mom. Life was tough, right? <laughs> to pay the bills was tough. And, um, you know, I overcame a lot of adversaries. So, uh, so I look for people that have like challenging backgrounds, you know? So there's kind of like a couple of qualities that I look for that are not like typically on the resume. And you got to be good in your, your conversation with these people or your discovery of your candidates. So you're looking for people that are, Teachable people that are hungry, and that can mean a couple of different things, right? They could be hungry for opportunity, hungry to make money, hungry to make an impact, hungry to learn. You know, there's people that are willing to take a, a pay cut if they don't feel like they're getting the proper development and support inside of the organization. For some of them, it's about gaining the experience and learning and having somebody that's invested in helping them master the craft of sales. That sometimes is more valuable than like, you know, giving them the biggest offer financially. So they got to be hungry. They got to be coachable, and you know, people that have sports backgrounds typically, you know, whatever level they might have competed at, you know, that shows that they have that you know hard work and determination. And those are kind of the key things. Sales can be taught. A lot of people think that like sales, like yeah, you know, a lot of people you used to hear a lot of people say, oh, they have gift of the gab, or they're you know, uh, they're extroverted people, or they're you know, people like them, their life like. Those things aren't necessarily as important. Like the best people in sales, and this is a quality that you got to look for, is people that are curious. The people that are curious are going to be the best people asking the best questions with the prospects in the beginning of the relationship because it shows that they actually care. They build a lot of rapport and trust. They get to the bottom of things that most people won't. They ask the tough questions. And a lot of the sales are won in, in, in the beginning stages of that relationship. So those people excel really well. And that's something that's harder to teach. If they have that, they have lots of potential. It's a really funny contrast. I think people who don't have experience selling or in a sales organization or who don't really know great salespeople, there's this kind of archetype of what a salesperson is. And it's very much the opposite of what really great salespeople or sales leaders understand sales to be, which is asking great questions, really trying to understand what's going on, genuinely trying to figure out if there's a a, a product solution fit or not, and, and being open about that. So those are a lot of really great attributes. I guess what's what I'm curious about is 
you know, most people when they're they're hiring, they put out an ad, they collect some resumes, they do a quick screen, they do some interviews. Not often a process that lends itself to learning the kinds of things that you talked about, unless they're done in a certain way. So how do you discover if somebody's hungry and curious and, and passionate to learn when you're trying to hire them? Yeah. So you can you can tell by the type of questions that they ask a lot of times. You can tell by how real they're willing to get. Like they might tell you about something in their past that most people wouldn't. You look for those sort of things that stand out, right? And those are like hard to find, right? But if you know what you're looking for, it's easier to kind of guide the conversation in that direction. And you ask questions that are less about their their professional experience, but also about their personal experiences. What drives them? What do they enjoy to do in their free time? What's something interesting about themselves? You know, things like that. And also, I'm a big fan, and and this, you know, there might be some people that don't don't like this, but. I'm a big fan of the type of salesperson that prefers a lower base and higher commission because those are people that you know have a level of confidence in themselves and their abilities that they know that that in the long term is worth more for them and their bottom line. Yep, They're people that are willing to bet on themselves. There you go. There it is, right? Give me the comp plan that gives me a chance to really crush it. Yeah. I mean... From my very first sales job, you know, I've been a commission-only sales mm-hmm. rep. And I wouldn't have it any other way because you have to perform if you want to eat. <laughs> it's that simple. And um, you know, I think a lot of reps can get these really cushy SaaS sales jobs that have you know, a nice, comfy base and maybe still live at home with mom and dad and be okay and not have a lot of drive. So I have to ask, capped commissions, where do you stand? Capped commissions is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard of. Great. Just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page. I had no (laughs) doubt. But yeah, that's like, I just don't get it. I, I understand that there are times when someone crushes it so amazingly hard that it becomes a problem in the organization, that somebody's making five, 10 times what other people are making. My feeling has always been, listen, you know? If you want to sit down at the at the sales desk and and go for it yourself, you know, there's no reason you shouldn't. Yeah, but I don't even see that as a problem. I don't see that as a problem. Like if somebody's making 10 times more than somebody else, that's not a problem. If they put the work in, they built the relationship, they did the work, they closed the deal, they should be compensated. They they shouldn't Why would you cut a salesperson off at the knees? I totally agree. And one of the things that I've always loved about sales as a profession is, you know, it really doesn't matter what your background is. You don't necessarily need a certain kind of education. You don't even need a lot of education. I know many salespeople who don't have a college degree. Maybe they even dropped out of high school, right? We've all seen what's the movie with Will Smith, Pursuit of Happiness. You know, it's about drive and motivation. And if you get that done, go for it. And if somebody else wants to go for it, go for it. Why cap? Now, and now, as a leader, you got to find out what drives each person because it's mm-hmm. different. I made some mistakes early on thinking like, everybody should sell the way I sell, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Why is what drives me not drive them? You know, And that's a big mistake that you know, I had to learn from. That's a big mistake that a, a lot of you know, your typical leader that was top seller that got promoted 
they think that their way is the way for everybody or what makes them tick should make everybody tick. And that's just not the case, right? To, to be a good coach, to be a good leader, you got to really understand what motivates each person on a really personal level and also check in because that changes. Well, that's a great segue because, you know, we were talking about how do you hire great reps? You know, okay, so now you got some people on your team that you think are going to be great reps. Most people that get into a sales management role don't get a whole lot of training. You hear a lot of complaints about sales managers who were either micromanagers or Mm -hmm. they're just counting and chastising, or there's kind of the other side of the spectrum, which is how your first sales job started, which is, you know, here's the playbook. Here's a tour of the tech. Go for it. What what is the right formula for managing a high performance outbound sales team so that everybody can succeed as, as best as they can and as to the extent that they're willing to put in the effort? I mean, I wish I had a playbook at my first job. It was a, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a playbook. It was a less than average sales script. <laughs> I mean, you got to have a process, right? But you can't live and die by the process. There's got to be some flexibility around it. There's got to be some empowerment for sales reps to be, you know, creative. Scripts are great. Like they're necessary, but sales is so much more dynamic when you're having a conversation with a person and it can go in so many different directions that you can't be a rep that solely relies on a playbook or a script where it's like, well they said that and I don't see that on the script. Where do I go? Right. You, you got to encourage them to be able to think on their own. And you got to have the general sense of the direction of like, where are we trying to go with this? But you also got to give them some freedom to like their own brand, their own flavor, their own way of like getting the job done. And a lot of that is with like call reviews. You know, hey, if you got a new rep or you're building a team, like send me six calls every day. Your three best and your three worst. Let's review them together and let's break them down. And it's not like, hey, you should have said this. It's, hey, David, what do you think you could have said better there? Okay, that's good. Maybe we add this to that. Or here's what I would have said. You know, how would you say that? You know, so encouraging them to like find the answers on their own rather than just trying to give them all the answers because that's goes back to that way of like thinking everybody should do it my way. And that's not going to work for everybody, but encouraging them to get to the goal done and to improve the way that they're getting the job done, but also thinking on their own because that's going to give them flex that muscle so that you know when they get in those situations again, they're comfortable and confident enough to drive the conversation where it needs to go. This kind of sales management that's very coaching-centric, very mentoring-centric, much like selling, you're listening to what the other person is doing. You're curious about what they're doing. You're providing support to what they're doing. I'm a big fan. It doesn't seem to happen in an awful lot of organizations. You know, the reps complain that they're not getting support. The leaders complain that the sales team isn't performing. And the poor manager is stuck in the middle with a big quota, lots of admin work, you know, wrestling with reports, you know, within the context of an organization. I mean, someone's listening to this, like, okay, guys, you guys make a lot of sense. How do you start to turn the tide when the culture in the organization isn't oriented that way? I mean, there's a couple ways I could answer this, right? Like there's find a different organization, right? Like that's a simple answer. And, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in an, in an organization where you are in that sort of environment and you are getting that type of support, like great, but there's far less than those than there are the other. So I kind of sit on the fence a little bit with this because 
if you have support inside the organization, great. If you don't, it's your responsibility to go out and get it. And there's tons, of, and this doesn't have to cost you a ton of money. I'm not saying you need to go out and hire a $10,000 a month coach. It's definitely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, there is so many free resources for you to get better at your craft. If you got zero support inside of your organization and you at least believe in the product or service that you're selling, like it's truly helping people and you know they're doing something good and honest and you can get behind that and you're not getting that sort of support to get better at your craft, if you're just sitting around bitching and moaning, that's on you. You could go listen to podcasts. You can go read books. You can follow the right people on social media. You can read blogs. There is abundance of free information for you to get better as a seller. There's all these different groups that are peer-based supporting each other. So I think it's BS if you say like, oh, you know, I'm not hitting quota because you know the, the organization sucks and the manager sucks. And those are all excuses. Go out and take ownership for your own professional development and get better at your craft and get serious about it. I love it. This has been a great episode. We we kind of started with this whole, you know, what what can the organization do to help make the reps great? But at the end of the day, there's also an awful lot that the reps can do to take ownership and and to make themselves great. We're kind of running low on time here, but I want to ask you kind of one more just macro level question to, to close things out. We've talked a lot about sales management today. I think there's a lot of myths around sales management, mm-hmm. a lot of misunderstanding, certainly a lot about salespeople. Yeah. Also about sales management. What's one of the myths about sales management that you'd like to debunk? I think we kind of just talked about one. Sales management has a certain level of responsibility to invest in their people, but it's not 100% their responsibility. The reps got to take ownership to get better at what they do as a seller as well. It sounds like an answer based in culture. It's not just about you being your best. It's not just about me being my best. It's about our culture is about helping everybody to be their best and each individual taking ownership of that, which comes back to the hiring question. Yeah. And look, if it's a toxic culture, you know, or you're selling something that you're not proud of or you don't believe in, then it's not the right fit. Yeah. Colin, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights and your wisdom with us. If people want to reach out to you and learn more about you and what you're up to and all the good things that you're working on, where's the best place to find you? Uh, LinkedIn is definitely a great place. And they can also check out my podcast. We drop three episodes a week, uh, about 20, 30 minutes of nothing but sales fire with tactical stuff for you to get better for your professional development. Yeah. All the podcast platforms, Sales Hustle and LinkedIn is a great place as well. Sales Hustle Podcast. I've been a guest. That was fun. That is a great yeah. podcast. I will definitely put a link to that, your LinkedIn profile, and, and all the different ways people can reach you into the episode notes. Colin, once again, thank you so much for being a great guest and for putting together a solid episode with me. Thanks, David. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.